1: Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Tony Pugh list to my Danny Rule. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Oh, good day to you, Justin. Good day to you indeed. Well, welcome along to the number one championship podcast, the Second Tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to give away copies of Football Manager 2024. Yes, that's right. If you've listened to the last couple of episodes, then you will know that we're doing a giveaway. To give away three versions of the game not one not two that's right three copies of football manager 2024 are available for free all you've got to do to be amid the chance of winning is leave a five star review screenshot it and then email secretary pod at gmail.com a five star review on whichever podcast platform you are listening to us on screenshot it and then email secretary at gmail.com with the subject line football manager 2024 competition this is your last chance because be, we will be revealing our winner on next Thursday's show. So you've got to move quickly if you haven't already and it will take you barely any time at all. You could be the lucky recipient of the brand new Football Manager game where you may get asked a question by us in a press conference in the near future because we are being added to the game very soon, aren't we, Justin? So a five-star review, screenshot it, email gmail.com Football, uh, Football Manager 2024 competition as the subject line. It's as simple as that that's exciting justin isn't it i am i'm really excited i'm excited for the the listeners being able to enter this show because i would have bloody loved a free copy of football because i buy it on release every single year because i'm one of those i'm one of those people i'm not going to say virgins because i don't think i don't think um that's the right word to represent the football manager community we are we are the lifeblood of football yes (laughs) no no no, we are the lifeblood of football is what we are um how long have you been playing football manager for now (laughs) maybe i am a virgin um I, I first started playing, must have been I must have been about seven or eight years old. <sighs> wow. Um, my brother Is used to that proper championship buy manager? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Championship manager. I remember um, I was Derby, of course. Mm. And um, it was when they were almost on the brink of administration in 2002 and I had to sell Georgia and Branko Strupa and all those players and I tried to I sign know. like journeyman Italian players. And it was a terrible, terrible time for me. But I learned a hard lesson. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Um, and you could be like just Peach and be playing football manager for more than 20 years of his life <laughs> um, if you enter this competition and get involved. But hey, we're not here to talk about FM. We're here to talk about the championship. Because if you want a weekend which shows you why the championship is the best league in the world, then this is it. The top two heading into this weekend both failed to win. And then five of the bottom eight won. It's utter carnage. And that's why it doesn't get any better than this, mate. So... Let's try and discuss it, shall we, Justin? Let's try and dissect this absolute craziness that we see in the championship right here. Because we're going to discuss the promotion race and the relegation battle. We've also got a championship club's official Twitter, which has called us out. So more <laughs> on that a bit later on. And we've also got footballers' our listeners are met in strange places. The Poles and Simon Grayson take for late, of course. So let's go around the grounds, Justin, and we'll kick things off with Leicester City who have gone from losing just four games in 32 to losing three in three. The latest coming at home to QPR, who won 2-1. Kurtz, three-word review. Unbelievable King Marty. Charlie Llewellyn says fabulous. And BJW says bottling the league. Leicester had 18 shots to QPR's three. But despite that, the best three chances in this game fell to QPR and Leicester created very little of note to tell the truth didn't they Justin? Yeah and I think that's a, a credit to, to QPR but also maybe a look into, into how teams are playing against Leicester but I think that's the, the key thing here is Leicester was were so, were so brilliant but I think when you look at uh, the quality of players and, and the budgets it's, it's always going to be a, a staggering staggering uh, comparison um, between, between both of the sides and I think you know as I say it's credit to QPR for going away and uh, to Leicester and, and and trying to lay the gloves on, on Leicester uh, they, they were fantastic and I think in terms of Leicester and how they react it's a, it's a tricky one a very very tricky one because they're so possession based and so controlling it's um yeah they're almost sort of, sort of undoing themselves and sort of falling into that trap of maybe being boring boring Leicester and maybe perhaps if sides are a little bit more counter-attacking against them and Leicester maybe do a bit of that themselves they might be a bit more exciting might get more results but yeah full credit to QPR three shots and and two goals is a fantastic return they, they create the better chances I think that's the key thing to take away from this game They did. It's not very often where a a team only has three shots in a game to the opposition's 18 and they deserve to win. But I think that's the case here, wasn't it? I I, I think you might be right, Justin. Maybe teams have started to figure out Leicester a bit because Leicester were mainly restricted to pot shots from distance. Even their goal was fortunate because it came from some pretty shoddy goalkeeping from Asmir Begovic who parried a free kick back into the centre of the (laughs) penalty area for some reason and left Ben Nelson with an open goal. But that was it. There weren't any chances that Leicester were left rearing because... There weren't. There wasn't any there that you thought they should have taken them there. They were just completely outdone by a Marty Sifuentes masterclass. And as I say, it's not often that a team deserves to win when you look at the match statistics that we had here. But that was the case. And QPR just broke away brilliantly, defended exceptionally. And the latter is something that we've become quite used to saying with QPR under Sifuentes, isn't it? It's quite bonkers, really, <laughs> when you think about the, the key principles that Gareth Ainsworth built his sides upon, or his Wickham side upon, and tried to instill in his QPR team, is that he wanted them to be you know, a defensive unit, a, you know, a team that was really hard to break down and he never got the, He never got to grips with it where St. Fuentes has come in and he's done that and he's trying to do that with a bit more of a passing principle passing philosophy um, don't get me wrong in this game QPR only had 26% possession you're always going to be second best team when it comes to keeping the ball against this Leicester team but the fact that they were able to mix their game up when they need to and defend so brilliantly I mean Jimmy Dunn was fantastic again Steve Cook superb Sam Field and Isaac Hayden as a double pivot in front of the back four you know it's, it's a very solid experienced back line and, and I think that consistency in what they've got now in, in in sort of the back six if you like, I think is so so important. And Cifuentes is getting a um he's getting what he needs to get out of them. They are not conceding as many clear cut chances as they as they were. They are solid and, and again in this game, when you keep a lesser team out, that's so good as sort of getting in behind opposition and, and controlling games. Um yeah, you've got to take your hat off and go, okay, maybe not a performance masterclass, but tactically spot on. You got it absolutely spot on, Marty. Yeah, well, it's night and day compared to when Ainsworth was there. You'd have thought someone like Gareth Ainsworth, <laughs> considering his managerial pedigree when he was at Wickham and what he was like as a player, he would know how to organise a, a defence, but he clearly didn't, the silly goth. But since Sifuentes <laughs> <laughs> has come in, since if you enters has come in, Justin, <laughs> only West Brom and Leeds have conceded fewer goals. That's incredible, isn't it? And they've also won the 10th most points in the division. And this win against Leicester highlights the progress they've made under Sifuentes. The The Marty party is rocking once again. There's sangria everywhere. It's great. And obviously, despite this huge win, it doesn't change much in the relegation picture because so many teams down there also won. QPR also have the most difficult remaining fixtures out of the teams down there. But look, they're banging form and it's looking good for Rangers. A team it's not looking good for right now is Leicester City. Four losses in 32 it was. It's now three in three. They've gone from a 12-point lead just over two weeks ago to now a three-point lead. What on earth is happening, Justin? I'm wincing, wincing as you say that. Um, that's a great question. I mean, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, this is a this is a purposeful drop-off in form that Lorenz, uh, Enzo Maresca instilled in his team. He wants his team to, to drop off because he wants, he's trying to shake off that boring tag. He does not want to be boring, boring Leicester. So he wants to give fans their real, he wants to make them feel real trepidation, feel vulnerable, feel like control is lost because they control so much and having this sort of alleviate them a little bit that control alleviate them a little bit yes it's going it's going to add a bit more excitement into their games um but yeah in all seriousness from a football perspective you've got to this stage in the season the teams are probably becoming a little bit more comfortable playing against you they've already played they've already played you once in the first half of the season um so there's more and there's certainly more at stake for teams now in the second half of the season because you've got teams that are playing for something got like QPR fighting relegation except for example um than they were in the first half of the season so you're facing a completely different team, and I think this three defeats in a row is is, is a big, big thing, and it's something that Reskin needs to sort out. Obviously, it's a very obvious statement to make, but because it's the biggest challenge he's faced, and what he's doing now is that sort of Canter-like feel. Um, you know, they were swashbuckling to the championship title. It's now, it's now in doubt. I think that's the key thing, and he's, it's a big challenge for him to overcome. Well, if that 90 minutes against QPR was anything to go by, then they could have played extra time. And I'm not sure Leicester would yeah. have scored another one because it was worryingly tepid. Of course, against Leeds, they should have been at least 3 nil up. So you can just tick that off as a bad day, I suppose. A performance like this one makes me worry that this blip, if it's still counted as a blip, is something deeper than that. Because... Ultimately, put it this way, if, if Leicester City do not win the league, it's the biggest bottle job in Championship history. I don't care how good the other three teams behind them are. This squad should be pissing the league anyway. And if they don't win it, it would be a proper ball's ball up, particularly after a 12-point advantage like they had. Uh, I can't remember... Any teams who have ever been 12 points clear at the top of the league before and fell to win the league. I can't remember too many teams who have been 12 points clear for that matter. So, I mean, that's before you even get onto the possibility about them not going up automatically, which, by the way, is becoming more and more of a possibility as the weeks go by. Um, But, Justin, what do you think? Would it be the biggest ever bottling? It's got to be, wouldn't it? Well, if they do drop out of the top two and they don't go up automatically, or even win the title, I think it. I think it would be. But look, eleven games to go, Leicester still have plenty of quality. Maybe we might see an actual reaction from them, and maybe a tweaking, um, system or tactics from Moresca. Um, but I. I mean, I'd, I'd sit here and say I'm confident that there'll be no bottle jobbing in the East Midlands. Um, between now and the end of the season, although I'm saying in the East Midlands, Forest could get relegated and Derby could bottle automatics in League <laughs> One as well. So, that's... <laughs> yeah, let's say Leicestershire. Um so I'd be confident in saying that, but I think it's about Moreska reacting now and we've not seen him have to react like this. You know, it's it's that it's that Adriel saying if you keep doing things the same thing over and over again, it's just a. it's not gonna work. That is not the saying. Um <laughs> I've completely I I've completely screwed that one up, but you get my point. It's a it's a big, big um, massive, massive task for Moreska to overcome this, and I think that's a worrying thing for him. Well, this is a real challenge for him, isn't it? Because he hasn't really had a moment like this so far where he's managed to lose back-to-back games, let alone three games in a row. So it's a huge, huge challenge for him. I thought the performance against Bournemouth in the week where they won in extra time, I thought that would be it. That would be the turning point for them because that was a really good showing. And now they've come here and been very, very tepid against a, and no disrespect to them, a, Relegation-threatened QPR team—it's incredibly worrying, incredibly, incredibly worrying. And while you do look at the team and think surely they will get back on track sooner rather than later, you've got to be concerned after this. And it—if it does continue, Leeds and Ipswich will happily take advantage of yeah. this slip-up and uh, really take them to task on that. Yeah, I was going—I was going to add as well. If you go back to sort of this time last year, Burnley played Huddersfield. Um, when when Huddersfield was starting to pick up form under Neil Warnock, and Burnley put them to the sword, you know that that is the sign and a marker of a, t- um, a title chasing team. And I think that's the key thing: it's the mentality, it's the the ability to keep going and pick your team up and really know your team as well. And I think Maresca, as I say, he's not had to he's not had to take too many punches this season. He's you know they lost seven games now, which is quite quite a high amount for a team you know, wanting to finish first. So yeah, it's a. Yeah. I wouldn't say a worrying couple of weeks coming up, but it's, it's a big couple of weeks because Leicester need to react. And if they don't, Ipswich, Leeds and maybe in Southampton, they are sat there waiting for that trip up. In the West Yorkshire Derby between Huddersfield and Leeds, Dre's boys managed to hang on for a one or draw despite being down to 10 men for the entire second half. It ends Leeds' nine-game winning run. Brad says perfect streak gone. Lamnam says kick to death. Uh, quite an enjoyable game, yeah, actually, if you enjoy prison rules football because Huddersfield were just kicking Leeds so much. But look, <laughs> it worked, I guess, didn't it? <laughs> This is, all, this is what football's about. You've got to get in the faces of opposition. You've got to make it uncomfortable for them. Don't let them get in the stride. It was an effective game plan that worked to a tee from the Dre, And I think you've got to play like that. When you're playing against a Leeds team that are as good as they are and are runners, as, as much you know, a really good runner form, you have to, let's say, bend the rules a little bit, kick them not punch them or elbow them like Johnny Hogg did but you know <laughs> let's let's take it a little bit you know to the line and see where we go. And I, I thought the game plan worked absolutely perfectly it was a brilliant brilliant first half in field. didn't allow Leeds to grow into a game and kicking 10 barrels of shit out of them fair play I enjoyed the official Leeds United account on X, formerly known as MySpace, saying at half-time, more fouls than shots. Huddersfield lead, but reduced to 10 men after Hogg's elbow to Junior's face. Brilliantly petty stuff. And you know what? It's unprofessional, but I encourage Twitter accounts to do that more often. More on that later in the show. Um, I also enjoyed when Jonathan Hogg was sent off. There was a brief moment where Ethan Ampadu thought it was him getting the card before he turned, saw Hogg, and then waved him off the pitch. Just all-round great content from this game. But yeah, a lot of kicking from Huddersfield here. Not only was Hogg sent off in the first half, but... Matty Pearson should have had a sending oh, off as well for a horrible yeah. challenge on Crescencio you know, Somerville. It was very much a throwback to football back in the good old days, in quotation marks, when men were men. <laughs> when, and when Leeds a, were doing it. When Leeds were doing it, yes. When men <laughs> were men and a drop kick on a football pitch only got you a telling off. The good old days, I say. <laughs> but look, let's, let's give credit to Huddersfield, Justin. The first team to stop Leeds is in the league this calendar year. So to do that after being down to 10 men for the entire second half is incredibly impressive. And look, it's only a very small sample size, but it seems like old Dre Brighton writer knows what he's doing with this Huddersfield team. Well, yeah, it's a small small sample size, but I think it's a much bigger sample size because of the work that John Worthington did. And I've been singing that hymn for the last few weeks because I think that's where it all started for for Huddersfield. And I think that's where the credit needs to go to. um, Not necessarily taking it away from from Dre but I think that's where the credit needs to go to um, but look it's, it's about character it's about reacting it's about responding because Leeds could have rolled Huddersfield over in that second half but they didn't you got the likes of Jack Redoni and Salva Thomas they were superb the back line was brilliant and Michael Healy came on and scored his ninth goal of the season <laughs> um, which is an incredible return from, from him as a centre half so I think from from uh, from Brighton Rice's point of view, he'd be really pleased with the with how they responded because they were organised, didn't let Leeds get into their game even in the second half. Um, and yes, a goal was probably coming because Leeds did get into some good areas quite consistently. But at the same time, Huddersfield did not retreat. They did not let up. They 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 didn't allow Leeds to get into their flow all the way through the ninety. Despite being out to ten, it was a fantastic performance. Good foundations. Yeah, well, they made a lot of progress under caretaker boss John Worthington, didn't they? You're absolutely right there, Justin, but Dre just seems to have carried that on. It is only a very small sample size under him, but I have been impressed so far because the players seem to have belief about them again and they're fighting for each other. Silver Thomas's form has been great. I'm not sure there's a better crosser of the ball in the division than him. You put in our uh, second tier WhatsApp group over the weekend, just in that David Beckham had pictures, uh, posters does. of Silva Thomas on his wall, which he I'm does. not going to disagree with. Uh, but Hellick again, I mean, nine goals for the season's an unbelievable <laughs> return for him. And then Jack Radone is a very tidy player who I like a lot. And it's looking increasingly less likely that Huddersfield will go down in my eyes. I can't com- can't completely rule it out, but it feels like they've turned a corner and progressing well, especially under the new manager still got many of the new signings to bed in as well so it's all looking quite rosy from a Huddersfield Town perspective um Leeds were always going to fail to win at some point soon weren't they because I mean there's a reason why only three teams in championship history have won 10 games in a row before it's a very difficult thing to do anyway let alone in the most unpredictable league in the world but look they've still got a massive chance of getting promoted haven't they um they have been immaculate recently and mm. it's hard to pinpoint areas where they can improve. But one person I'd like to see starting in the next few games, Justin, is Conor Roberts because he's come off the bench in the last two games, scored the equaliser against Leicester, set up the equaliser against Huddersfield. He's class, isn't he? And for me, he's yeah. too good to be sat on the bench. Would you agree with that, Justin? I I, compl- I do completely agree with that. I think... The comparison that I made when he when he first came in was, he's Luke Ayling, but just a little bit younger. He's, he's a character, he's a personality on the pitch, he's, he's got that leadership element to him as well. But he's also got lungs for days, hasn't he? He just runs and runs and runs. And he's a bit of a clutch player, which I find incredible for a fullback to be in the right position at the right time as often as he is. It's a very difficult thing to do. Um, and for him to pop up and score two really important goals in two games that have essentially one Leeds points, I think is is, is massive. So I think, yeah, that was certainly playing to Farker's mind in terms of picking the next squad. But I don't think it was a terrible performance from Leeds. I think they just came up against a really well-organised Huddersfield team who had their game plan down perfectly. And sometimes it happens. You've just got to respond in the next game. And I think they will. Yeah, well, teams are going to sit back against Leeds, aren't they? And that's where players like Roberts can come in because he does have that kind of x-factor about him, which, as you say, is quite strange for a fullback, but he can provide that. And I think as well, if Roberts does start, it also means Archie Gray can move back into midfield, which I know a lot of uh, Leeds fans have been clamouring for recently. So it it would work really well. But look, over the last two seasons, Conor Roberts has been in the last two seasons he's been in the championship he's been the standout right back in the whole league so I think it's a waste for him to just be a sob a substitute coming on as an impact sub um, later on in games because he's got so much energy that he can do that for the whole 90 minutes so may as well get him inside and see what he can do uh, but Leeds have dropped down to third now two points off the top two after this result and Ipswich Town are the team who have jumped into second place so they got a 2-0 win away at Plymouth Brandon Carter His three-word review is Kiefer Moore's "World Flim Flam" is "Get On Board." Robert Wilson's is McKenna the Magician, and Reese Curtis says "Title Race Baby." One more. This is from Avis. He says Peachy's worst nightmare, a fairly (laughs) comfortable one in the end for Kieran McKenna's boys. It makes it five wins in a row now, and the Ipswich Town are going up. Tractor is bloody tanking it along, ladies and gentlemen. It's doing wheelies. It's doing donuts. It's doing all sorts. And the most important thing is it is jet-powered right now. And this, of course, comes after Justin Peets said just under a month ago that he was rolling Ipswich Town out of the automatic promotion race. He essentially called me deluded for saying Ipswich are still <laughs> in the hunt. To quote a very questionable man who I probably shouldn't be quoting, you all laughed at me. Well, I have to say, you're not laughing now, are you? <laughs> Wow, what a what a verbatim from from you! Incredible. Um, I'm not saying I was wrong in anything that I've said. By the way, what it, what I said about Ipswich is they need to keep clean sheets and control games better. And guess what? They're keeping clean sheets and the controlling games. Here we better. go. Here like, we go. I'm <laughs> listen. Let me get on my let me get my high horse. Uh, I'm just I'm getting on the saddle now. <laughs> I'm basically saying, what's your bloody point? They kept a clean sheet against um, you know, a good Plymouth side. And the last two performances have been incredibly well managed, controlled and significantly been the better side. So in addition um, to that, they've not been making stupid errors at the back. Not as many anyway. So the headline here is whilst Justin can go fuck himself with his clean sheets, the subtext (laughs) is Justin was right. No, he wasn't because you ruled them out. (laughs) Justin was right. No, Justin was (laughs) definitely not right. He was the complete opposite of right. But I mean, this is what I've been saying. I mean, the parallels to last season with them winning promotion from League One is quite frightening. Because, you know, storming the league in the first half of the season had that drop off around January time. And now they've picked up again and are absolutely flying. Last season, they won 13 from 15 of their final games in League One. And it looks like they're on a very similar path to doing that again. Of course, it may not pan out that way, but it's scary how much the the comparisons are there. And I mean, this is why I said last week, Leeds should be more concerned about Ipswich than Leicester. Because Leeds fans were looking up at Leicester saying, we can catch them and that may very well end up being the case. But when you've got a side next to them who are also flying that's when they should be taking note of them instead. Because from a Leeds perspective, as things stand, it's more likely that Ipswich pipped them to the automatics than it is Leeds catch Leicester. So I, 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 this is why I was getting on my high horse and saying <laughs> that Ipswich seem to be overlooked in this promotion race because they're an incredible side who seem to have been reinvigorated by the January signings, particularly Kiefer Moore, Jeremy Sarmiento as well, deserves a mention, etc. It's looking really, really good from an Ipswich Town perspective, isn't it, Justin? And the Ipswich are going up tractor. Oh, that MOT has done okay. wonders, hasn't it? Okay, I'm just going to point out that the last five wins have come against teams who are down there. Let's say they're the likes of Swansea. Right. Why the have likes you got to be a downer, on it, Justin? Why have you got to be a downer? Why can't you just agree with me? Get on the tractor and say, yeah, Ipswich are great, and they're going to run this down right to the wire. Because you're attacking me, and I don't want that. I want, <laughs> you brought it on yourself. <laughs> I, I want to respond. Give the listeners some balance. Look, no one wants no one wants this Ipswich narrative going all the way through the season. They want a bit of they want a bit of cynicism towards it. And I'm throwing that in. It's all it's pretty it's all about Ryan. It's a debate. Okay. Well, you can continue being as cynical as you possibly can be. But <laughs> look, whether it ends in promotion or not, I don't know. But They are continuing to just be so, so impressive. And the fact they're keeping pace with the teams up there. I mean, there's a genuine chance right now that Ipswich may win the league. You can't completely rule that out. Considering, (laughs) why are you laughing? Justin, (laughs) look at the league table. Look at Leicester's form. Why are you laughing? The man gets carried away. He loves it. He loves it. You just... Ipswich could actually have the bus parade going through Ipswich with the championship title. And you'd be going, well, they didn't keep enough bloody clean sheets. It's just shambolic, mate. Unbelievable. Is, anyway, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll move okay. on. Because okay. Okay. we need to give a quick word on Plymouth. They've now won just four points from an available 18. They're 16th, but due to the condensed nature of the relegation battle, they only two points above the bottom three. What are your feelings with them right now, Plymouth yeah. Argyle? Yeah, it's an interesting I'm not overly worried right now. They've had a really tough six games, let's say. You know, Ipswich have had a really easy run of games and they've got the points, whereas Plymouth have had a really tough run of games Case and they've <laughs> and they have and they have struggled. You know, they played the likes of Coventry, Sunderland Leeds, West Brom and now Ipswich. These are teams pushing pushing high at the table. They've got Wednesday, Sheffield Wednesday and Blackburn in the next two games, which will give them a chance to play sides at are closest to them and maybe start to generate some form, but um, I'm not overly worried. I think it's it's a point where they, they they maybe lose the next two games and you start to go okay. Maybe they can be pulled into it because it, you know points are tight down there, and it's going to be you know it's it's going to be a bottom three that I envisage. Well, not a bottom three, but sort of 22, 20, 22nd twenty twenty second, twenty third. They're going to be sort of hitting the 40, 45 point barrier. Which yeah, Plymouth Plymouth need to get points on the board quickly. And if they can do that over the next two, then I'll feel a little bit more confident. Yeah, I think you've got to give the benefit of the doubt to Ian Foster, because over the last six games, it's been an incredibly tricky run. Sunderland, yeah. Coventry, Leeds, West Brom, Middlesbrough, Ipswich. Um, and I mean, the only team outside the top half there they've beaten. So look, Plymouth's Plymouth record against the top sides is pretty appalling. They've played seven games against the top four sides and not won a single point. And that's obviously bad, but it, it does go some way to explaining the recent, one, uh, the recent run. Five of the next seven games are against bottom half sides. So if they're still struggling after that, then we should be worried. It has been a bit of a mixed start for Ian Foster, but I don't think it ju- could be judged too much just yet based yeah. off of this recent run of games. Um, one final point I wanted to make here, and this is going a bit off course, and I'm not sure it's something I've mentioned before on this podcast or not, but... I'm colourblind, for those who don't know. And it was so difficult for me to tell the difference between the two kits in this game. Plymouth were obviously playing in their normal green kit, while Ipswich, I think, were playing in their orange away kit. Now, I don't know what it was like for you normies with your disgusting colour-seeing eyes, but every time I was watching from the main camera, I could barely tell the difference between these two kits. And it really doesn't have to be this way when... One team's home kit is green and the other one is blue. So while it's, it's, it's probably not the only time this is going to happen this season, this is one of the worst examples I've seen in quite a while. And it really could be avoided. Just something I wanted to get on my high horse for a sec there. Um, final game before we have a quick break, Justin. Southampton, they round off the top four. They got just their second win in six games by beating Birmingham 4 3. N66CH's three-word review. Late, late show. Joe Rebo scoring a 96th-minute winner. Great scenes here and a great game in general. Birmingham certainly gave Saints a right scare, didn't they? Particularly because they were down to 10 men for the first uh, final half an hour, I should say. Uh, but boy, did Southampton need. This Justin, and boy, did Russell Martin need this, otherwise, he may have had a mental breakdown. <laughs> oh, god, yeah, <laughs> the amount of the amount of uh sort of losses he's had to take over the last few weeks have been yeah, it's been it's been running him down. But I mean, credit to Southampton for for plugging away because it could have been a game that easily got away from them. We've seen that quite often, it was another slow start from them, frustrating really, because they're, they're giving poor goals away at the moment. But I think when you when you got the character to keep going, keep going, keep going they need to make sure they, they take that into the next game start quicker and start more assured um, shall we say but yeah as I say credit to credit to, them. credit to Will Smallbone as well who has had a lot of abuse online over the past sort of weekend he, you know he bounced back got two assists and Russell Martin was quite rightly giving him the plaudits after the game yeah he has had a lot of stick recently I've seen that as well and I think it's been a bit harsh to be honest because you know still a young lad and don't. No one ever deserves sticking no. as much stick as he was getting anyway, but particularly when he's such a young lad. But yeah, I mean, Southampton desperately needed this, didn't they? Desperately, desperately. And while the number of goals they conceded um, and the fact that it took so long for them to, um, you know, finish off the game when they were playing against a team who were down to 10 men for the final 30 minutes... ...isn't great, but they got three points on the board and they desperately needed that considering their recent form. A draw would have not been good enough here, so they needed to get this and fair play to them for getting that. Um be interesting to see how they do in midweek. It's a big game against an in-form Preston. So, got to carry this on. If they want to get back on the automatic promotion train, whether that happens or not, only time will tell. But let's have a quick break, Justin. After that, we'll talk about the seven-side derby and also the relegation battle. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. And it's now time for us to check out how our Second Tier Multiple with SBK got on, which included our Game of the Week as well as Jutten and I's Two Bankers from Friday. I did say, I fancy this to finally be our weekend. Well, I was wrong. We had West Brom, Leeds and Bristol City all to win. My pick of West Brom was the only winner there, so back to square one for us. But we'll be back again with another multiple in this coming Friday's preview show with SBK. Uh, let's do a quick round of football as our listeners have met in strange places. Justin, this is from Harvey Burridge. Actually, I, I should caveat this by this is something we've been talking about recently. We've had great correspondence from mm-hmm. our listeners after I talked about my ten my anecdote of bumping into Jamie Vardy while coming out of a train toilet. Um, And since then, people have been coming in in their dozens with footballers they've met in strange, strange places. This is from Harvey Burridge. He says, Hi, chaps. Roughly a year ago, I bumped into Huddersfield striker Danny Ward in my local co-op petrol station. He was out injured at the time, but I was still alarmed to see him purchasing a rollover hot dog as he paid for Mm. his petrol. I've never gone anywhere near those hot dogs. (laughs) Neither have I. And you're you're not a picture of hell. I'm not. I'm not. Listen. I'm not criticizing you Needless or dig. abusing you. It's not an easy dig, Ryan. You tell me and you correct me with some facts here, but. You are the you are the typical customer of rollover hot dog, and if you're saying you're not going near one, a professional footballer should definitely not go near one. Hey, I can't defend myself there at all, but the <laughs> fact that that hot dog is probably stinking of petrol does not appetise me at all. <laughs> I don't dip play. it in fuel, do they? No, but, it, but I mean, when you go to a petrol station, think of the fumes, man. You didn't think of the fumes? i um, got an electric car, so. <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, <laughs> this is from Matthew Friend. He says, "Good day to you, virgins. I bumped into Sean Hutchinson in." Bo- boots with his family. We glared into each other's eyes and he gave me the look of, I know who you are. You know who I am. So I just carried on and we went our separate ways. Um, Fair enough. Enjoyed it. (laughs) I know who you are and you know who I am. How does Sean Hutchinson know the... Oh, no, sorry. Sorry, I've read that wrong. I know you know who I am, is what he was saying. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. I don't know if Sean Hutchinson is omnipresent and knows everyone. Um, And this final one is from Luke McCreary. He says, Hello, gents. I worked in a club in Bolton during my uni days. One night after finishing work around 2am, I met up with a few pals in the main nightclub in Bolton and bumped into none other than Barry Bannon, who was on loan there at the time. He was a friendly guy and made time to talk when I noticed who he was, but was quite intoxicated by the time the club closed. I then went into a takeaway after the club closed to find Bannon demanding a banana yazoo and a curry. The stunned Uh. takeaway owner quickly told him to leave. Love the pod. Thanks, Luke. That's good stuff, Justin. That's my kind of content. I know that's fantastic content, but fucking banana yazoo and a curry oh my god <laughs> oh no yeah that's awful that's Banham's, awful uh, bannon's got a bit of a record for him being caught out and about so there's a uh, there's a video i can't remember what someone says to him but he basically gives him dog's abuse on camera bannon can't hear what he's saying and he goes huh it's very funny i'll find it and uh, <laughs> i'll post it on the second tier twitter um he also called rian brewster a a nasty name when he was on a mic once in a pub or something like that. Um, But he's got form for this kind of thing, is what I'm saying. A nightclub isn't necessarily the strangest place to meet a footballer, but I enjoy these kind of interactions. So if you've drunkenly met a footballer, please let us know. That may be a new topic for us to put out to our listeners. (laughs) Um, While we're on the correspondence from our listeners, Justin, we also put out the call in Thursday's pod for People's Clubs Most Streets Won't Forget Players. Now, this is from Defeated Limitations. He says, for Leads. Leeds, it's Sam Saiz. He was unplayable yes. on his yes. day. What a player, Justin. That's a great name. Um, yeah. Richard Callier says for Leicester, it's Johan Beneluan. Yeah. Um, another Leeds one, Keith Foster says Matthias Glick for Leeds. General shithouse. I mean, mm. he, he's always going to be a street smoke not forget player. just for bit of a modern legend. A bit of a modern legend. I don't think he quite qualifies. But uh, nice to hear him name. I, th- I think he falls into the category. I mean, Tarap's a modern legend as well, isn't he, really? Yeah, but Click was there for quite a few years. Anyway, anyway, Um, it was bye-bye. Alfie Douglas says Mark Muneza for Stoke, another good one. And Thomas Blackwell says for Millwall, it's got to be Jimmy Abdu. Jimmy Abdu is (laughs) a cult hero, Streets won't forget. (laughs) He's all of the above, isn't he? oh yeah he uh, it, it, it scored the goal against Leeds didn't he that took me all to the player sorry yeah it took me all to the player final so not only is a streets won't forget footballer it's also a bit of a legend yeah massive legend if you have a suggestion for your clubs most streets won't forget player please send them into second tier at gmail.com we would love to hear more of these kind of players and we'll read them out on the show um, let's get back onto the matches just and we'll discuss the relegation battle because we've already mentioned some of the teams but five of the sides in the bottom eight heading into this Weekend won. Last weekend, six of the bottom eight won, so no one wants to go down. There's just two points separating 22nd and 16th. It's utter carnage down there. And there was a relegation six pointer of sorts, although admittedly that net is quite wide at the moment. Um, it was between Swansea and Blackburn with the Swans running out 2 1 winners. It's back to back wins for Luke Williams' side, and they were looking a bit perilous at one stage but they've now managed to create a four point gap between them and the bottom three and it seems like he's finally getting a tune out of the Swans isn't he Justin? Getting a tune yeah maybe starting to maybe learn the piano or the recorder at this at this point if you are to use a, a musical analogy I think uh, I, they're certainly starting to find a stride it's all about getting results at this point isn't it it's good to see because um, they're starting games aggressively and on the front and foot we saw a couple of goals in the first sort of 20-25 minutes of this game which is, which is needed because Swansea do have a habit of, sort of shooting themselves in the foot and defending poorly, so yeah, that's, that's a big thing for Luke Williams to instill into the team. And I mean, we've not really seen him dominate games yet, which is why I think you know it's it's all about sort of learning the instrument as opposed to you know trying to find that tune as you as you pointed out. And as to be expected. He's he's a, he's a new manager, and you need confidence to do that. And that's where a game like this helps. Where you score a couple of early goals, you defend the lead. It was uncomfortable at times. You're back sometimes against the wall, but key thing here is it's two wins, two wins on the spin at a, a really important time. Well, he had lost five from six in the league prior to the back-to-back wins. However, again, similar to what we were talking about with Plymouth not too long ago, it was a very tricky run of games. So you can let him off to an extent. So they've now got a bit of breathing room between them and the relegation zone. But the most remarkable thing with Swansea is their remaining fixtures. Because they are by far the kindest out of all the teams in the quotation marks, relegation battle, from their remaining 11 games, they've only got one fixture against a team in the top 10. That's amazing, isn't it? (laughs) From 11 fixtures. (laughs) Uh, The fixture gods have been very kind to Swansea City, so one would assume they'd quite comfortably stay up at this stage. And, I mean, this could be precious time for Luke Williams to figure out what he's doing with this Swansea team, who he wants to keep, where they need to strengthen, that kind of thing, Justin. Yeah, I was going to ask. Would you rather be playing teams in the top ten as opposed to the bottom ten? Because the teams in the bottom ten, it's they're dogfights, they're uncomfortable games. Whereas in the top ten, you, it's not as much pressure at, at to get At this stage in the season, though, at this stage in the season, just I can see what you mean. But at this stage in the season, you want to play the teams lower down still. Maybe later on when there are teams who um, don't have anything to play for, you can make that kind of argument. But right now, you, you're looking purely at the lower the team, the better, really. Yeah. The quote-unquote, the shitter teams. Well, I, I didn't want to say that, but you went out <laughs> there and said it. I would say that. The fact that, you know, five of the bottom eight won this weekend and six of the bottom exactly. eight won last weekend. Maybe that's not the case, but it'd be quite surprising if Swansea did get themselves back in trouble at this stage, it's got to be said. Um, that's not the case for their opponents this weekend. Michael Edmondson's three-word review for Blackburn, we're in trouble. John Eustace still looking for his first win as Rovers' boss. They had a great showing in the Cup against Newcastle not too long ago. But apart from that, it's not been a great start, has it, for John Eustace? No, it's, it's quite frustrating, really, because they've got... Such an incredible goal scorer this season is Samish Modics, and he's doing his very best to to prop that team up. Obviously he scored again here against Swansea, but defending wise and, and team shape out of position, they, they sometimes shoot themselves in the foot. And I don't think that's all down to John Eustace. I think he's got a lot there to to sort out. And again, it's still a relatively inexperienced team that's been propped up with some experience in January, like likes of Karl McFadden, for example, but there are still a lot of gaps that sort of need filling, and John Eustace needs to needs to fill them quick and he needs to get them, you know. Grounding out games better and you know starting quicker because as you say they played really well against Newcastle in midweek uh, and unfortunately you know was, that that sort of hard work is uh, undone by some poor defending in the first 10, 15 minutes of this game. It's fr- it's frustrating but again I'd back John Eustace to to see it to see it out. It's it's the Eustace. It's what he does. He sees things out. Well, I was quite surprised at how leggy Blackburn looked here, but 120 minutes midweek though does that. Well, that that is true, but the worrying thing for them is the amount of depth they've got. You look at the bench, they had only one outfield player over the age of 22, so there's not a huge amount of options available there for him. And I mean, the Omens aren't good for Blackburn. They're the only team in the league other than Rotherham, of course, who have failed to win one of their last five games. They've also got one of the trickiest run-ins left. They've still got to play all of the top four, including Leicester on the final day. So that's not looking very good at all. That is concerning. And while I don't think they've been playing particularly badly, there's not a whole lot going for Rovers right now. And... That crucially includes results. The next three games are all against sides in the bottom half of the table. So I'd say they've got to make the most of it. Otherwise, they're in deep, deep trouble. And you could make an argument to say they're already in deep, deep trouble. So elsewhere in the relegation battle, Stoke got just their second win in eight at home to Middlesbrough. There were reports Stephen Schumacher was set to be sacked if they didn't win here. So a huge result on his behalf. And Sheffield Wednesday have made it three wins on the bounce after a 1-0 victory away at Rotherham. Uh, Another cracking result for the Owls, who are on a roll, aren't they, Justin? And Rotherham, by the way, have now lost seven in a row. Just pathetic, aren't they? Um, So, look, the relegation battle is right up in the air right now, isn't it? It's almost impossible to call who the bottom three is going to be. I put on Twitter over the weekends that you're a genius if you can predict who's going down at this stage, Justin, because it is almost impossible, but you know what? Fuck it. That's how I bash Justin. If you had to predict it right now, who's going down? Obviously, Rotherham are gone. We all know that. Who do you think is the next most likely and then the next most likely after that? Uh, I don't want to answer this. I really don't want to answer this. (laughs) Big, I, I, just, I think it's important. I think, firstly, I'm going to point out it is impossible. Five points separate Wednesday and 23rd and Plymouth in 16th. Yeah, you can't say so, it with any amount of confidence, can you, Justin? I'm I'm saying it with no confidence. No confidence in what I'm saying whatsoever. But if I was to, if you're putting me on the spot and saying, who are the other two teams going down along with room I'd say based on the probability, you suggest Wednesday because they've got the points to make up. It's a difficult one for them. And then I'd say Stoke, because they don't they 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 convince me the least out of all of those teams that are down there. Um Steven Schumacher has won the odd game here and there, but they just don't defend very well, they don't create too many chances. I know they're coming off the back of a you know a big win, but at the same time, we've not seen them roll on and get some form like Sheffield Wednesday have, like Huddersfield have, like QPR have, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So I would say Stoke and Wednesday are the, the most likely at the moment, but I genuinely cannot call it. It is really, really hard. I just don't know anymore. I mean, it looked for so long like it was going to be guaranteed three of the bottom four who were going down. And now it's three of half the league. I mean, there isn't anyone down there who I can say with any sort of confidence is going down aside from (laughs) obviously Rotherham. And I mean, each team you could make a good argument for staying up. Right now, I would still go for the three teams who are bottom for most of the season. Wednesday is the most likely and QPR next. Now, I know QPR have been in great form recently, but... I wouldn't be surprised to see them have a dip in form similar to around the festive Mm. period, particularly with their remaining fixtures. And there's also the Elias chair thing lingering over their heads as well. Um, I mean, I'm sure that's going to incur the wrath of QPR fans, but you can't completely rule out that kind of thing happening. And then Wednesday as well have been so good recently, but they could quite easily have a dip with Leeds and Ipswich coming up soon. So, I mean, Stoke they are probably the poorest team right now out of the yeah. teams down there. And they've got to see some sort of improvement under Schumacher. But my thinking is they'll either have that improvement or they'll sack him and get someone else in and maybe that new manager bounce will help them climb up the table. Blackburn are in a pretty worrying position as we were just alluding to, Justin. And then I've also got question marks over whether Neil Harris is that good a manager to completely steer all away from the bottom three. So, Look, I'd say Wednesday in QPR the next most likely. But really, you could pick the names out of a hat and you may have has may have as good a chance as predicting it correctly because it's ludicrously tight right now. And that's why we fucking love the championship because it is such it's just it is just carnage down there. It really, Nail-biting. really is, isn't it? Nail biting. It really is. Um let's move away from the relegation battle. And Norwich have now lost just one in their last ten after beating Sunderland 1-0. Josh Sargent scored again. He's now got seven goals in eight games. He is some player, isn't he? He's now got 11 goals in 15 games and it wasn't for that injury. How many goals would he be on this season, Justin? Who knows? It could be be a a ridiculous amount. But here's the question for you, Justin. Is Josh Sargent the best striker in the championship? Now, when I ask that, you have got to keep in mind that most of the top scorers in the division this season are wingers. But when we're talking Mm. about natural number nines, where does Sergeant rank? Is he the best? Is Josh Hodgson a natural number nine because he plays just off a natural number nine in Ashley Barnes, isn't he? That's where he's been getting his best. His best sort he's of traditionally space. a striker is the point I'm making. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, I would say he's, he's certainly the. I would I would argue that he's the best finisher. I would back him to finish chances more so than Samish Modix and Adam Armstrong, mainly because he's done it on a more consistent basis. Um, and he could throw whatever at me, but I think the only thing that's held him back in terms of putting him high up in the the regard of the championship's best players is the fact that he's been injured quite a lot. And it's not it's not like um, you know he's breaking down and pulling muscles. You know these are impact injuries. You go back to the, earlier on in the season where well, I can't remember it was against Huddersfield where he scored and did his ankle and he was out for a few months. You know it's those sorts of injuries. So when you consider that fact that he's now got eleven of fifteen, he's got eleven goals in nine hundred and seventy odd minutes. If you compare minutes to, to goal ratio he'd, he'd be on sort of 30 plus because I think he'd be playing around sort of 3,000 minutes so you know based on those numbers and consistency he'd be he'd be on around 33 goals which difficult to say he, whether or not he would do that but um, for me I think yeah he's, he's, the, he's the coolest and calmest finisher in a championship and I would back him over probably most in the division so best in the division I okay fine yes if you want a definitive absolute answer from me I would say he's the best Natural striker in the division. I, I think you're right just now. I don't think it's an outrageous thing to say because while he may be playing for uh, Norwich side who are chasing the playoffs, not one of the top, top four teams in the division, I think he probably is. The only ones who come close to me are um, Adam Armstrong, obviously, because he's had such an incredible season, and Kiefer Moore. Well, Kiefer Moore, I think we may have to reserve judgment on now even though he's the best target man in the league well we've seen him loads in the championship before but because he is now he's only just come back to the championship we need to see a bit more from him before we can you know make that full comparison but Sargent I mean, he's taken his game to a new level this season and he's banging them in for fun. The only downside to his game is the injuries, and that's not really any fault of his own. But he is a Premier League striker, isn't he? I mean, last season, even though Norwich struggled and he was struggling along with them, he he was still one of the standout players for them. And it's no surprise that I've seen Brentford linked with him um, in the past 24 hours. So... If Norwich don't go up, they'll do well to keep a hold of him because he is just such an incredible striker. So good at stretching the play, finding the back in there, setting up his teammates. He can do it all. Works hard as well. Top-class striker. He really is. And then finally, in the seven-side derby, Cardiff beat Bristol City 1-0. Boost Dirk says Derby Day Delight. Uh, Three-mode review, that is. And Paul Grinnells is Broke the Banker. Of course, Justin Peach Mm -hmm. had this as his banker of the weekend. Made the point that Bristol City were very good at defending set pieces. So it was inevitable that Cardiff scored them from a set piece. (laughs) Stuff you like to see. Um... That was nearly my highlight of the weekend until <laughs> the Cardiff City official Twitter account called us out. They actually called us out, Justin. On Saturday night, they tweeted Perry making an impact in the seventh side derby, banker of the weekend, tick. I mean, what else could they possibly refer to there, Justin? It's us. They're talking about us. And you know what? I'm not even mad. I'm delighted, Justin. No. No, I, I love it. Just, just at least at me, you cowards. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I would say. And I think the other thing is, um, I'm not salty about this. I, like you said, I, I love it. And what I love more about it is the fact that I can go to Cardiff now and not have to pay for a hotel. Or Airbnb because I'm rent free oh, in the dear. Welsh capital, ladies and gentlemen, rent bloody free. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, you were wrong, but we're still, <laughs> no, 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 no. Everything I said would happen happened, except Bristol City not defending that bloody set piece, which does no, make me look like it a didn't. right dickhead. Cardiff only had three shots in the area. One Justin, was the goal. Just did you said. Bristol City are brilliant at defending set pieces, and they're the banker of the weekend. Both of those things were wrong. (laughs) Okay, apart from those two things that had a detrimental effect on the outcome of what happened, I was right. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite a big thing, the two main claims that you were making. Um, I saw this, and while I thoroughly enjoyed it, I was wondering, do we get many Twitter admins listening to us? I mean... We must do, mustn't we? Because they'll all be fans of the championship. They want to know what neutrals think of their team. Maybe we should try to get them to tweet out a coded message to confirm their listenership. Do you what? what do you think, Justin? Yeah, or just just terrorizes with passive aggressive banker do of the weekend. Don't do that. That's Banker of the of weekend tweets. Why, why have you got to take it down to that level? Don't do that. Not, okay, not not terrorizes, but you know, put out a banker of the weekend. But no, every now no, no. Then. Well, I mean, you can do that if you want because I'll probably enjoy it. I'm, I'm thinking like just a harmless coded message. Here, here's the question: because what what do we need this coded message to be for for this to work? Because it needs to be something that isn't blatantly obvious, so it would get someone in trouble, but it's also something that can't be so discreet that it could be that it could be tweeted out in pure coincidence. Do you see what I mean? Okay, so it's almost like a. If you're interviewing a player, get them to say a, a certain term. They could mention a random player in a tweet. Could that work? It could work. Maybe the listeners have a better shout as to how we can get out coded messages out there. But maybe if they, maybe if admins could tweet a hey, Streets Won't Forget Footballer just off, off the cuff. Lee Camp. Off the back of the... What about Lee Camp? Yeah. <laughs> any, any, any club that Lee Camp has played for. No, Justin. No, I want. I'm widening <laughs> the net here. Everyone, just if you're a Twitter admin listening to this, mention Lee Camp in a tweet this week because there's no way on earth a club Twitter account is randomly tweeting about Lee Camp this week. But you could get away with posting that. You could get away with working that into a post, couldn't you? For example, throwback to 2014 when so and so scored past Lee Camp. You know, I think that would work. That would work. I feel like it's unnecessary shade towards Lee Camp, who's going to have a lot of mentions this week, probably. Sounds great. (laughs) I think he deserves more mentions. I I think this is good work. This is a nice bit of fun. Yeah, um, I look forward to completely forgetting about it this time next week. Well, I, I certainly won't be. I'm going to be trawling every Twitter account this week to see which club admin is the best in the division. Will anyone tweet about Lee Camp this week? Hopefully someone does it. Listener, keep an eye out on your social media to see if your club tweets about Lee Camp. Um should probably actually mention the game itself because it's a huge result for Cardiff, isn't it? They were on a horror runner form where they won just 17 points from an available 54. And... I think we were both a bit worried about them potentially getting dragged into the relegation battle, but back-to-back wins should ease those concerns. Um, and on the flip side, Justin, I'm seeing a lot of very unhappy Bristol City fans, many of whom are saying things aren't any better now than they were under Nigel Pearson. What do you think? It's, it's worth bearing in mind that they've got a lot of injuries. I can see why they're a bit frustrated because results just haven't been consistent enough, but it's a process. And I think that's worth bearing in mind. I mean, if you go back to the game, they had no George Tanner, Matty James, Sam Bell, Rob Atkinson, Scott Twine, um, Eamon Benares, The you know, squad's thin, and injuries have hit them hit them pretty hard of late. So I can't see Liam Manning being able to get the very best out of this team. But as I say, I think um, I think it's all about the process. I think you've got to trust that, and, and you know enable Manning to get on with his work. And when he's got a full squad at his disposal, who knows what can happen. Yeah, you spot on, Justin, you spot on. I think it's incredibly harsh for Bristol City fans to be getting on Liam Manning's back so soon into the process. I mean, I know I've seen, I've seen a lot of Bristol City fans taking the mickey out of the club hierarchy, saying they wanted to push for the top six under Liam Manning. I don't think they meant this season, but that's what a lot mm-hmm. of Bristol City fans are saying. Top six, what on earth were you talking about? We're not any better now than they were under Nigel Pearson. Um, you know... Liam Manning's a young manager who's working with a young squad. So it's going to take time for him to get to grips with this team. And he's had one transfer window with the club, hasn't he? And He needs a bit more than that. And he needs a summer transfer window to really get this team going in the right direction again. So there has to be patience from the Bristol City side of things. And yes, while I know Nigel Pearson was one who Bristol City fans were quite fond of and thought that he did a better job than... Maybe we gave them credit for, but Liam Manning's a very good coach, and I think over time they will start to see the benefits. I think that's fair, isn't it? Yeah, I completely agree, and that's the key thing. I mean, Nigel Pearson was 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 a very good sort of manager, wasn't he, around the club? He was a leader at the club, whereas Liam Manning's probably still finding his feet, and that's the that's the big difference here. Because I don't think results would have even would be much better off now under Nigel Pearson, probably maybe even a little bit worse off. So got to bear that in mind but I think Manning deserves time he deserves a little bit of patience as well because I say a lot of injuries squads thin it's going to be difficult let's do the polls Justin this is the part of the show where we give the listeners free questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship so the first question we asked was this where will Leicester City finish first second (laughs) third (laughs) I want to say third for the controversy just to just have a (laughs) bit of stories between now and the end of the season yeah. He's got to be first, hasn't he? If they don't yeah. win the league, something has gone horrendously wrong. But you can't <laughs> rule it out right now, can you? 57% of people said Leicester, 23% said 23% said second. Um 20% said third. Uh is Norwich's Josh Sargent the best striker in the championship? Yes or no? Already said yes, haven't So, got to stick with it. I would say that gotta as well. Stick. And I th- I tell you what, Justin, I think the listeners have been incredibly harsh here. 89% said no. I mean... Well, they'll just look at the goals, won't they? Yeah. yeah. Well, well there is that. Um, but, I mean, he's been out injured for so long. I mean, a player we maybe didn't mention there was Jorginho Ruta in terms of, you know, top-class strikers as well. But I think Sergeant is giving him a run for his money just because of what he's doing. I mean, Ruta's top-class, but... I I would say right now, Josh Sargent is the best striker in the championship. 89% said no, 11% said yes. And finally, do you like Marmite? Yes or no? No, never had it actually, but I don't like it. How do you know if you haven't had it before? Because it just smells. It's delicious. I love Marmite. I I know you like it. I know you like it. And you look like a man who likes it as well. I don't know what that means. 64% of people <laughs> said no, 36% said yes. Right, it's now time for this.
2: Hi, Simon Grayson Edge.
1: It's now time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So I'm going to ask Justin to name eight of a certain subject. All he's got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if I would say name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, he would say Villa, that's one down, Newcastle, another down. But if he were to then say Weymouth, he would lose a life. So all he needs to do is give me all eight answers without losing all of his lives. And you can get involved in the fun by sending in your Hateful eights for either Justin or I to answer. Send them in to secondtierpod at gmail.com and you could get a shout out the next time we do a Hateful full eight justin this is from shane cotterall thank you shane he wants you to name the first eight teams to win in the playoffs since the second tier was rebranded to the championship in 2004 any teams who have won it twice in that time only count as one answer and it carries on to the next year does that make sense yeah i fucking got this cool you've got two lives on this one peachy being generous with the two lives. So if you don't get this, I'll be very disappointed. Who's the first one, Justin? The first one is uh, uh, 04-05, that was West Ham. It was. They beat Preston in the final in 2005. He is correct. That's one down. 5 06 was was Watford beating Leeds. Jay De Merritt. Jay De Merritt, They won 3-0 in that. Justin, you are absolutely correct. He's doing this in order, ladies and gentlemen. This is incredible championship it. knowledge. I'm flexing. I'm flexing for all the listeners here. Uh, 06-07 was Mubba-Liver-Derby County. Billy Davis shit housing his way to a one winning against West Brom. <laughs> yes. Uh, West beat West <laughs> Brom in 2007. That was the first final at the new Wembley. So how about that? Um, right. You've named the first three, Justin. That means you've got the remaining five to go. Uh, 07, 8 was Hull City beating Bristol City with Dean Windass with that lovely lovely goal yeah correct don't even have to add on the information about that Justin's covered it all there I means you're halfway there Justin and from the looks of it you're absolutely tanking this 08-09 was um, I want to say it was Burnley they beat Sheffield United Wade Elliott Screamer that is correct it was Burnley in 2009 look at this this is incredible. Incredible championshipping right here. Um you got three remaining, Justin. Shit. <laughs> and it's the latter three that you're looking for here. Yeah. Oh nine ten I'm a bit stuck on now. Um ten eleven ten eleven oh do you know what? I watched a game um the other day and they mentioned it. Uh oh nine ten was Swansea Reading. That was that final. Scott Sinclair Masterclass, Brendan Rodgers. Um in 09 10. In 09 10, yeah. yeah, yeah. It wasn't in, o- ti- in, o- in 10, 09 11. 10. That was correct. That was in 2011, yes. A so hat trick from Scott Sinclair saw them beat Reading 4 2. So that was in 2011. you still got two remaining, Justin. You're still missing that 2010 player final winner. Yeah, I'll go back to that one. 11 12 was West Ham beating Blackpool, wasn't it? It was. That's so the- that one doesn't yes. count. So it means it goes over to the next one. Oh, scumbags. So 12 13 was. Crystal Palace, Correct. Kevin Phillips. Correct, yes. Christ, uh, Kevin Phillips' penalty saw them beat Watford in 2013. Often forgotten how Watford didn't get promoted after that Troy Deeney goal because um, of Kevin Phillips and his boys. So that means you've got <laughs> one remaining, Justin. It's the 2010 playoff final, which you're looking for. Commonly yeah. if you haven't got this. I thought this might be the most obvious one. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, it's 0910, Newcastle went up, didn't they? I can't remember who finished in the automatics. Mm. um now i know i'm a bit stuck so i think forrest got to the playoffs didn't they that season we didn't get to the final i know that was a season after was it oh here we go he's questioning himself now <laughs> just i'm gonna have to push you for a team you've still got two lives so you can just throw out a random team if you want okay 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 i will go with in that case i'll go blackpool oh my god charlie adam cardiff city Yes, got it, got it, got it, got He's it. He's nailed it. it, ladies and gentlemen. He has nailed it. I, it's, it's one of those, Justin, it's the pressure, isn't it? People don't appreciate the pressure of Simon Grayson's hateful and Sometimes your brain just stops working. It gets... Just stops. The cogs get stuck a bit. Um, but you got there in the end, and that's good. That was an incredible showing, Justin. I'll tell you what, round of applause. Top class hateful eighting right there. It's, um, it's, it's comp- incredibly niche knowledge in the back of my mind that I never use so I'm glad I'm glad it gets pulled to the fore As because people deserve to listen to it you know people what they it. do it's incredible knowledge and that just goes to show he's a championship expert even though his predictions are fucking shite that's there we true. go ladies and gentlemen that's been Simon Grayson take for late and this has been the second tier <laughs> podcast and we'll be back again on Thursday because we've got a whole round of midweek games to go through ladies and gentlemen so we'll divvy through all of that on Thursday and we bloody look forward to seeing you then but yes this has been the second tier podcast I've been Ryan Dilks I've been Justin Peach and a big thank you for listening
2: second tier is a stack production and part of the ACAST creator network